Good morning and welcome to Backstory with me, Noreen Mir. I have a very, very interesting guest this week. He is a Democrat, but seen as someone close to the government. He has an IQ of 160. And in this backstory, he reveals why he did not enter the government. Well, he answers indirectly, but you will get what he means. He is Professor Lo Chi Kuang, and here is his backstory. Well, my family is a big one. I, I have three mothers. Three mothers? <laughs> I've done, this is my third season for backstory. I've never heard that before. Well, I have uh, over a dozen uh, brothers and sisters, and uh, from from the side of my mother, I I was the youngest one. But my, I don't, I never think my 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 father is uh, was rich at that time. He, he was okay, but but he had three wives. No, uh, he's not Islam, but <laughs> <laughs> but but uh, uh, you know. Very traditional, very traditional family and uh, things. Uh, we we sort of kind of middle class, I, I would say at the time. Mm-hmm. Okay, you say traditional, but three wives doesn't sound traditional. I want to find out more. So he, it's not legal to be married three times. Concubines? Uh, yes, you can you can say that. Uh, uh, my well, he married my mother back in the villages mm. when they were young and. Uh, he came over to Hong Kong first, and uh, somehow met another person, and and so forth. And um, I, I guess at that time, because the uh, the uh, gender equality has never been on agenda <laughs> those days, and uh, the the third mother, so to speak, was found out by me. And uh, when I was still around that time, it's eleven to twelve years old, and I just discovered a secret of my father, and and uh, have to discuss it with my bigger sister, and then uh, and then with my mother, and and uh, force the my father to admit it, <laughs> and that was the story. And, wow! Uh, and uh, Professor, you were the whistleblower. I was the whistleblower because uh, I I just pick up the telephone directory and find my father that that three guys with my father's name, and so I call all of them up and one when I but and actually is uh, that comes the voice of my father, and then I realize and look up the uh, uh, the address that's not a full address it's a partial address and and, and I know that uh, something is wrong. <laughs> What made you? What triggered it in the first place? Was your dad well, acting I, differently? I, I, I was just a naughty boy, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, like to play around and calling people and, uh, <laughs> and uh, making jokes and and then and then uh, discovering that three guys having my father's name and and, uh, and find it interesting if one of them are actually my my father. Oh uh, wow! And uh, and uh, unfortunately, yes. <laughs> Would you say you had a happy childhood though? I definitely have a very happy childhood. Uh, I'm a and I'm a very funny funny kid because I like to do a lot of household chores too. And uh, every morning I I woke up around five five thirty and uh, have a. Uh, those dim sum uh, early morning with my father and my mother along, uh, and then went to swim with both of them. Then came back and and uh, do all the household things. Uh, that sounds like a good boy rather than a naughty boy. Well, very just helpful. Kind of fun. Yeah. Kind of fun to me, and because I like to, because I also woke up earliest. So I because there's only one 
toilet, and so that so many people need to wash up and go to work or go to school. I'm the one who decide who is going to wake up first, use the toilet first, and I also ask what they want for their breakfast, and I prepare for them. So wow. <laughs> I, I'm sort of kind of in control and uh, and enjoy that sense of being the manager of the morning session of the household. What did your parents do? I, I assume your mom didn't work, and your father worked. Yeah, my father was uh, was a, a, a buyer of. Uh, Picks oh. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and 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 selling them too. Uh, my mother uh, was a housewife. She spent most of the time in the household, uh, apart from playing mahjong, and that was her life. I want to find out more about you as a student, Professor Lo, because you spend a lot of your time in university. You you teach. What were you like as a student? You, you mentioned you're you're naughty, but. I bet you were hardworking too. No. Oh, I, I, <laughs> I just have a feeling you. I'm. I, I'm not at all hardworking students. I. I like to read a lot. I, I read a lot of books, but, but I hate study for the reason for examination because I do think preparing for examination is a waste of time, and uh, because there's so many things to read, so many things to learn, and why you have to read whatever you have learned before, and then just for the sake of preparing for the examination, I don't care. Except once, I want to be number one in class, so I recite everything. I got uh, uh, once in my lifetime get uh, to be number one in the class, and well, that's it. So, so there's no need for it the next time. So, I, I I'm not hard working uh, student at all, and I I think I'm a because I'm quite disobedient, particularly uh, to to learning because you, you know. At that time, those times, particularly for Chinese language, we have to recite a lot of poems, recite a lot, a lot, a lot of past essays. Mm. And I, I told my teachers in primary school, you got to tell me why I have to recite them. Otherwise, I won't. And, and so I, I never learned to recite any poems and uh, any passage. I, I got very poor marks in dictation simply because I refused to recite them. And they, 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 then I'm not convinced by the teacher saying that you should and they say, why should I? And so, and once one of the teachers challenged me, I think you don't want to recite as simply as you can't. I said, well, you can test me. You give me just a passage. I read it three times. I can recite for you. I'm not the one who can read it once and recite it, but it's just me read it three times and I can recite it. So the the, the, the teacher gave up and <laughs> and uh, and so I was and uh, I, I. You sound like a rebel. You really. I thought you were just really quite obedient. And what did you want to be when you were little? What was sort of your childhood dream? I don't. I don't have that. Uh, what, I always have the difficulty when people ask me, "What do you want uh, to be when you grow up?" I, I just, I don't know. I, I just want to be a person. I just want to, you know. I, I live by the seaside, and, and uh, every now and then, when I open up the window and, and breathe the air out, and always feel that there's so much out there, and and I'm just so tiny, and that. Uh, some little time and to to learn all those things. So, I always put my life have three goals. One is about knowing the meaning of life, uh, and uh, acquisition of knowledge, and also love. So I consider these are the important things. Well, when I was in high school, I I thought I would probably would be a mathematician because I'm very good in, in mathematics and uh, much better than whatever I know. So so I thought maybe, but, but then by the time when I read uh, one of the uh, books by uh, Burton Russell, is a, a mathemat- 
mathematician and also a philosopher, and I read his uh, Principia of Mathematics, and I thought, no, I, 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 I. I can do nothing better than him, so so I, I shouldn't be a, a mathematician, <laughs> and so so I, I I make up my mind and and sort of almost like gave, giving up mathematics and uh, go into social sciences and, and try to learn more about the world, know more about the society where I'm living in. What, yeah, what made you go into social work? Well, I I took economics and statistics in uh, in my undergraduate studies, and after that, I I I didn't know what what to do either, so so I. There are three job offers, and uh, the third one was uh, as, a, as a computer programmer, which I thought I knew nothing about computer, and uh, I, the poorest subject I have is money and banking, and now it's a bank employing me as a computer programmer. That's good. So so I picked up that job. But Was that your first job? That was my first job. Working uh, in a bank? Working in a bank, the Hong Kong bank. And, uh, and then two years later, I thought, well, my marginal contribution were far more than the banks paying me. But then my pay is already very high as compared to a lot of people who are working day and night, 7 to 11, and then yet they're earning peanuts. So I thought, why should I be helping our, our, this, this, this big bang to exploit people? So, so I thought <laughs> I, I should move, 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 to, move to a field practice where I, I would be do more good for, for the general public, particularly the poor. So I, I decided to come back go back to university after in fact after another year I, I went back to the uh, to, to the university to study social work but well, what I have made meet. you pick social work that's such a departure from you know you studied economics and statistics at university at first and then you went into banking and then social work is <laughs> well <laughs> I'm lost speaking, for words well, I, I, I took my major in uh, economics and statistics for one very simple reason because at that time I f- I, I thought these these are the easiest subject for me. I don't have to spend much time, so I can learn a lot of other things. I I probably read more about literature, drama, and even physics, uh, 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 far more than the, uh, uh, the the economics or statistics. I probably study psychology far more than economics too, and uh, but definitely because I I, I serve as a volunteer. Uh, since my university days, I spent a lot of time in doing volunteer work and also help, uh, at that time, community organizations like SOCO at that time and uh, do a, help them to do a lot of research work and to a, a particular what we call action research and also help the social welfare department back at that time in training some of the social workers uh, in terms of the sensitivity. So somehow uh, uh, I, I, I was doing all that kind of thing before I moved into a formal study of social work, and oh, wow. uh, which is to me quite natural. Uh, and uh, to taking it formally mm. is something that I should be doing because I've been doing all those volunteer work and actually some of those are training professionals too. So <laughs> so it's kind of funny not being a professional <laughs> but and yet training a profession for something which is called sensitivity training. What and, is anyway. sensitivity training? out of curiosity well you have to know oneself and you have to know others and you have to be sensitive to 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 the interaction between you and and the people around by by a social worker as a profession you you have to be very sensitive mm. and uh, sensitivity is the key thing uh, of understanding other people helping other people and and that's something and also if you can't help yourself you can't help others so sensitivity, both in terms of understanding yourself and understanding others. 
Now, let's talk a little bit about politics. So you became a founding member of the Democratic Party and you also became a a legislator. Where was the progression in in all of that? I have been very active in high school uh, at the very beginning and uh, been doing all those trying to advocating for Chinese being the official language of Hong Kong and uh, and all those things. But, but then I, I sort of uh, told myself back when I was uh, still in high school, senior high school, said that I shouldn't move away from politics and philosophy for some time until then come came back by the age 40. Uh, but then before my age 40, because uh, uh, the, the democratic development in Hong Kong, uh, by 1991, we will have the first election uh, for legislative council, and I thought uh, because of the Democrats at that time are quite uh, divided, so to speak, and then they don't, they they didn't have a lot of resources, and they are competing one another. So I said it would be good to organize them. So so we formed in 1990 the United Democrats mm-hmm. of Hong Kong, and uh, 1997 was coming soon and uh, we 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 didn't know what what actually would happen by 1997 because the the one country will be the communist party ruling and so i said i told myself well at the age of 40 i said uh, well i should step up to the stage now i i joined the election back in 1995 and that's become Another eight years for me to be a legislative member. I know, and how times have changed w- compared to, to now. Do you think it's... Would you consider being a legislator again? In no. <laughs> wow, no. I didn't finish my question. And <laughs> it's a straight-up no. No, no, I, I, I don't want to spend time there, that for one thing. But but the key thing is, I I sometimes... Well, I have my own way of looking at what sh- what a politician should do. But then you can't just work alone. You have to work a lot with other people like parties and things like that. But then most people have a different version. Uh, people keep on thinking about what is the political right thing to do. To me, the only politically right thing to do is to do what you consider to be right. And, but that is not what is always politically correct. And, and that make me feel bad. And, uh, uh, and I, 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 I hope the world could be could be much better if we as a politician who 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 speak what they believe in rather than what they believe to be the right things to talk about. But what if they believe in is is not supported by the people? Well, for I, example, can can we give an example like CY Leung's comment about the $14,000? I mean, maybe that's what he really believes. But well, that's, I think you well, would be a good person to talk to this about because I've read somewhere you're, you're close to CY, Professor Law. And also, you know, I, I gotta say, CY Long's track record was, you know, he set up the, the poverty commission, he set the poverty line, all the, all these actions point that he, he is pro poor people. Did it surprise you, his comments? I don't use the word surprise, but I just feel puzzled. <laughs> I, I just don't, couldn't quite understand why he's talking about those things, but, but probably he's just trying to support the standing committee uh, decision on the uh, constitutional reform. But somehow I I, I have to say that uh, well people in, in fact all the time saying that I I, I support CY or actually I I serve him. I said I I don't serve him. I, I serve the community. I serve mm. the public. Yeah. And uh, and coincidentally in his election platform he has been pl- he has pledged to to serve the poor. 
So I guess that is a, a very important opportunity for me to uh, to to serve. So so I I I, I joined the uh, poverty commission and and also I've been before that I I already been serving the uh, committee Kevin. So so to me, these are the important things. I do want to ask why you didn't enter um wh- why didn't you work in the government then i mean have you been offered at all to to serve in in the government or or anything why don't you enter the government in a real way to serve the people let me answer your question indirectly <laughs> frankly it would be very difficult to answer your question directly uh firstly i don't have a visa to go back to china okay that's one thing so that is the, I'll read say, between the lines. Yep. That is probably the main reason. The second thing is, in fact, I do enjoy being a volunteer more than a pay official because I, you know, I, I, I talk about government policy all the time. In fact, at, at times I do defend them because I, I, I'm part of it, uh, particularly on, on those poverty things. But then if you're a government official, you probably have to avoid as far as possible talking about the negative things and, and talk about the positive things about those decisions, which I don't feel quite comfortable. Although I can do that, but, but if, if I had choice, I'd rather be able to talk about both the pros and cons, though at the end we, we make a choice. You don't have to answer this question. If you, if you, or you can answer indirectly. You're, you're a smart guy. You sent out an email um, urging the, the students to leave, urging the academics and professors to tell their students to leave. Were you misled to send that email? I don't think I'm, I'm being misled by anybody. I didn't talk to any government official on the 3rd of October when I sent out the first email asking people to, to leave or at least to uh, get away from the high-risk areas within these uh, occupied areas. In fact, I, do, I didn't believe that when I said that the students will leave. <laughs> <laughs> I only believe that they know the risks. So where, and also ask them, in fact, I told my colleagues to tell the students where they can run. Oh, okay. wow. And, and what are the directions? Understanding the geography of that, uh, locations is that, uh, what is the safest place, safe haven, just in case they, they have to run. So that, that's in fact my purpose. And in fact, underlying my message on, on the 3rd October and on and the 4th of October was that because at that time the highest risk of a crackdown was based on two things. One is the, the Federation of Students had called off to talk yeah. with the government yeah. on, the, uh, in, on, on, the, on the 3rd of October. And also they have occupied the, the entrance to all the central government office. Although not totally, but, but basically almost like sending the message that they are paralyzing the government. I do consider these two things are high risk because paralyzing the government is not what the Hong Kong government can say anything because that is not something acceptable to the Beijing government. Mm. And I, I guess at that time, particularly on the 4th October that evening, I do think the risk is imminent. I probably have achieved what I have achieved. And basically that evening, the Federation of Students had actually announced they will reopen the talk. And Benny Tai actually also announced that he would try to convince the protesters to to move away the barriers to the central government office entrances. That two calls, those two decisions, I can address that that night around 
one o'clock good. in the early morning because I thought, okay, that's good because once they have uh, decided to resume the talk and also try to persuade people to get away from the entrance, the barriers of the entrance. So, so I think that is no imminent risk. And there is no reason for the government to crack down the whole thing. And yet, because I, I know that, that it would still take some, some time to actually to convince the people to, to move the barriers away from the central government office. And so the next day, I'm still very uptight the next day, which was on the, um, on the, on the 5th of October. But until 10 o'clock in the evening, I realized that although they have not to come to all agreement on those, but at least they have moved away some of the barriers on the, to the entrance of the central government office. And I, and I told because that uh, on both the fourth October and the fifth October, I told the uh, Boys and Girls Clubs Association and the Hong Kong Social Service, which is very next to the uh, occupying area, to open up their halls just in case people have to come and take rescue. Aww. And but then. Uh, luckily, it- and luckily, I I I I sent them a message uh, around ten thirty on the uh, on 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 the fifth October. Say that you don't you have to you can ask the people to leave now. You don't have to open them because I I know that the uh, the situation is there will be no crackdown. I I can although I received no single message from the government actually. Well, I, I have to say I have communication with the government officials after I've sent out the first email on the October the 3rd, but but they didn't tell me anything, okay? okay. I, I, okay, I, so they are not misleading me at all, but what they what we talk about make me convinced my assessment of the situation is exactly what would happen. And uh, I, but even if you think about that, and people actually ask me, even if I believe that I probably being misled, even if they're trying to mislead me, but I don't think they even tell me anything <laughs> uh, that would probably mislead me. Maybe that's how smart the government is. They misled you without you knowing. Okay, that, that would be very smart. Uh, I, I, I admit, there are definitely smarter people than me in this world. Um, but, but I have to say, but even if I do consider I'm being misled, I probably would say the same thing. Because to me, I won't take a risk of, of the, the well-being of those students, and many of them very young students. To me, safety is the most important thing. And, and, and I guess a lot of people don't really know what's happening. Particularly, uh, I, I have to say that a lot of people don't really understand the Communist Party and don't understand the Beijing government. On one hand, it seems distrust the Beijing government so much. And to me, logically inconsistently, they believe that the Beijing government will give them democracy. And I, I, I think that is logically inconsistent. Uh, I don't trust the Beijing government either in the sense of giving Hong Kong democracy or genuine democracy, so to speak. So I don't think that we can actually convince them. <laughs> That, but, that's my that's my. Analysis. But on that premise, then it's it's like giving up, you know, because they won't do they they will never give it to you. So there's no point fighting. But then that's just. Well, you can do a revolution. Then, then if you, you can want. never progress in society. No, no, no. I I don't I don't believe in that either. Well, things happen when there are good opportunities. This is not the time. If we can de- develop Hong Kong. 
more in the sense of broader education, people understanding better our community, our country, and de- actually be- develop the whole, whole sense of democracy, the beliefs of democracy, not just think about the system all the time. What I don't like uh, what's happening right now in the umbrella movement up to this point of time is that although I've been calling people to, to leave starting from the 2nd of October already because I don't think we have the right to stand in the way of other people just for the excuse that we are doing good for Hong Kong. Well, that's what you believe or what I believe too. But there are a lot of people in Hong Kong do not believe in that too. We have to to respect that difference. And then you can't even say that because I'm doing good for Hong Kong and you've got to sacrifice. Yes, I can sacrifice, but you can't tell people to sacrifice. The other thing is I, I do care about the future de- democratic development of Hong Kong. And because of the weakening of a lot of our young people towards their the importance of democracy and also the future development of Hong Kong, a peaceful ending of the whole thing will be do a lot of good for Hong Kong in the future, particularly in terms of democratic development. And respecting differences, respecting one another is the basics of democracy. But we have to admit that we are under the rule of one country, which is under a single party, which is the Communist Party. And they, it is always as a, a room of sort of uh, uncertainty because... And I think people- fear as well. You know, a, a lot of the times, I mean, a, as a journalist, I would be scared to say certain things if we were totally China. I think, yeah, and uncertainty uh, on many levels. But yeah. I, I, but, but we have uh, two systems too. So we are fortunate because we have two systems. And yeah, to think about political development... Because what's happening in Hong Kong is not just affecting Hong Kong. It affects what's happening in China. Yeah. And that could, it, it can affect the world too. So, so somehow what the Beijing government is fearful of is not what, just what is happening here in Hong Kong. It's how what's happening in Hong Kong can radiate into China. I think it is, will be very difficult for us to, to say something that is practical and feasible and yet can move towards the direction of our ideals. Yeah. And, and, and that is what, what I'm advocating for. You must have some very interesting debates with your party members, Professor Law. Mm-hmm. I, I can see a lot of different views. Let's move on quickly to, to your hobbies. And, but what do you do to relax? I like sports. But these days, not much time for that. <laughs> I, in, in fact, since the occupying movement... I, I stopped swimming because I, I don't think I can swim because, you know, swimming, uh, I, I swim something like 2,000, 2,400 kind, kind of meters per, 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 per swim. Per day? And, well, yeah, something like that. Whoa. But you can't, you can't do that if your mind is so occupied with something and you, and something that you care and, and then you can't just, because you have to be very self-composed in, in swimming. I, I, I can't do that this day. So I, I actually have stopped swimming for one month now. But then I can do other things and uh, watching movies. And, uh, well, sometimes I, d- I play some stupid computer games and, <laughs> uh, we just to relax. And, um, and 
Although it's I call them stupid, you still have to, to use your yeah. mind. I, I don't use those uh, 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 sensory motor <laughs> kind of quick things. I, 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 I like games that you that, that, that I can use my mind. Anyway, although using my mind is a very relaxing thing because using my mind will get me away from some of the things that uh, have been tangled all the time, uh, particularly like this uh, occupying movement. It's been tangling it. Every night, I dream of things related to the umbrella movement. It, it's something that you. Me too. <laughs> yeah, I'm. I don't know why. Just I always dream, and I always the first thing I do when I wake up is just to check, just to make sure that you know there's no crackdown or no tear gas is being used. It's the first thing I do when I wake up in the morning. Why is it? I don't know. Peaceful ending has always been my dream. Actually, in my dreams every night. Unfortunately, most of those dreams are unresolved. So then you wake up in the morning, and <laughs> and that was that, that that's it every day. The, the, to to relax ourselves to me is not too difficult because I I'm not a very anxious person. Well, because some thirty years ago I I, I do practice medi- a sort of uh, meditation meditation and uh, well that that kind of meditation I practice is not to think of anything. Is <laughs> okay? it TM? Something like that. Okay. Uh, very similar, but it's my, my own brand, I guess. Uh, because again, it's just from reading and reading and reading and, and, and have my way of meditation. And, uh, and that helps a lot because I, I can cool myself down very quickly and, and uh, rest my mind very quickly. But though at times like this month, uh, it, it would be very difficult. Uh, but to me, it's still okay and uh, I'm never very tense. So, uh, other t- other times, I would say uh, singing, uh, listen to music. Music is one of my favorites. Professor Law, I really, really enjoyed talking to you this morning. Thank you so much for your time. You're welcome.